Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. One of my favorite movies as a kid was The Lorax. The original with this song. Under the trees, happy daffy barbaloots. Under the trees, in our barbaloot suits. Under the trees, eating truculent fruits. Holy succulent, mellifluous, deliciously mellifluous. Sweetly succulent, truculent fruits. When I first saw the Lorax, I had some sense that it was about protecting the environment, but it's more than a cartoon. It's a thinly veiled environment manifesto. I didn't realize until I was much older that it was also a strange masterpiece of historical fiction. Now, uh, uh, who'd you say you were, little fella? Mister, I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. And I'm asking you, sir, at the top of my lungs, that that thing, that horrible thing that I see, what's that? Thing you made out of my tree. In the 18th and 19th century, that's how it went. Even into the 20th century, massive logging efforts went unchecked all over North America, and mile after mile was razed to the ground. And in most places, nobody spoke for the trees. Hundreds of years earlier, when the first European settlers arrived, it was said that a squirrel could walk across the Atlantic Ocean to the Mississippi River from tree branch to tree branch, without ever touching the ground. By the late 19th century, the vast majority of the original old growth had been obliterated. Not even the redwoods were safe. By the time conservationists were able to stop the bleeding, over 90% of them had already been cut. One of the striking things about the Lorax is that the villain is a reasonable person. He's not the kind of maniacal, exaggerated character you would find in a Marvel movie. His name is the Wanseler, and his name is a reference to the success and wealth of his glory days, once upon a time. His name could just as easily refer to his one time only 
exploitation of natural resources in the most non-renewable way possible. The Wanzler is an opportunist with no regard for the environment, but he's not evil in the conventional sense. Throughout the story, he's convinced he's just helping people. Those trees! Those trees! Those truffular trees! All my life I've been searching for trees such as these. The touch of their tufts was much softer than silk, and they had the sweet smell of fresh butterfly milk. I felt a great leaping of love in my heart. I knew just what I'd do. I unloaded my car. With this love in his heart, the Wanzler meets the needs of hungry customers. He creates jobs and provides security and prosperity for his friends and family. Now I'd reached the stage where the potential was known. This business was too big for one Wanzler alone, so promptly I built me a radiophone. I called my brothers and uncles and aunts, and I said, Listen here, here's a wonderful chance for the whole Wanzler family to get mighty rich. Get over here fast, take the road to North Niche, turn left at Weehawk, and sharp right at South Stitch. He kills every tree in the name of progress. The Lorax, on the other hand, is the lonely voice of conservation. He protests in vain while cars race past him for exploitation, leaving him to cough in a smog of exhaust fumes. Gentlemen, I wish to speak for the trees. Here are some facts to cogitate and ruminate. It takes ten months for a truffula seed to germinate. It takes ten long years before the seed grows into a sapling. It takes ten more years. <laughs> the Wanzler's invention is the so-called Thneed. Eth need is a fine something that all people need, and it symbolizes all the good things that we have destroyed our environment to produce. Up the old assembly line comes another need, answering humanity's each and every need. Everybody do 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 need a need. It isn't just a panty vest. You should buy a hammock when you need best. It's a toothbrush holder for your weekend guest. Your canary will love it. It's a lovely nest. Try it in soup. It adds great zest. It'll cure those backache pains in your chest. Everybody do 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 need a need. You'll be amazed. You'll be nonplussed. It tastes like bread without the crust. Groups your hair when it gets must. Rid your home of dismal dust. It's a natural. It's a must. Eliminates carburetor rust. Everybody do 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 need a feed. It's super duper hooper hyper makes a perfect windshield wiper. Foolproof have to catch a viper. We don't complain from any viper. Papa smokes a Millie's Piper. Baby says. Boy, what a diaper. The immediate upside for destroying our forests is always obvious. There's money to be made, jobs to create, goods to produce. The fallout from all these short-sighted decisions was, more often than not, only discovered too late. The Redwood National Park is one of those rare cases where the conservationists arrived in time to save at least some of the trees. We may not think of it like this, but forests are an American institution. We have the fourth most forest land among any country in the world. 
and 8% of all the world's forests are American. As the U.S. Forest Service puts it, we have about 304 million hectares of forest land covering about a third of our land area. These lands range from boreal forests in Alaska to deciduous forests in the eastern United States to pine plantations in the southern United States to dry coniferous forests in the western United States to temperate rainforests on the west coast to the tropical rainforests of Puerto Rico and Hawaii. The U.S. Forest Service manages about 77 million acres of federal land called national forests and national grasslands, roughly 20% of the forest land in the United States. No forest lands among those 77 million acres are more spectacular than the coastal redwoods in Northern California. Words like epic and amazing are overused, but the redwoods are so astonishing that when the British first heard about these trees, they thought they were fake. These tall trees, they were convinced, were tall tales. In their words, they were nothing but, quote, Yankee invention, a fabric that simply transcended the limits of nature. According to the NPS website, once the British realized that these trees were not a hoax, their search for a scientific name appropriate to the giants led to the adoption of Wellatonia gigantea after England's revered statesman and war hero, the Duke of Wellington. To say that American nationalists opposed the commemoration of an Englishman with a new world wonder would be an understatement. Washingtonia gigante was their alternative. Whether George Washington's defeat of the British during the Revolutionary War sweetened the substitution has not spelled out. Well, after 1900, American botanists still chided British correspondents for occasionally lapsing into use of Wellingtonia gigante to identify the big trees, in what might be considered a compromise. The Sierra Redwoods are now generally called Sequoia Gigante after the Indian chief Sequoia, inventor of the Cherokee alphabet. As always, I reached out to Jim Burnett, longtime ranger and author, for insight into this incredible park. All right. Well, thanks for inviting me to come and talk a little bit about Redwood National Park. This area is interesting in several respects. It's one of the newer additions to the national park system. It was only established in 1968. It was kind of a Johnny-come-lately in the effort to try to protect the redwoods. It's the effort to save some of those old-growth trees really goes back to 1913. Some individuals and local groups there in Northern California started some efforts to try to protect a few of the trees. A group called the Save the Redwoods League was formed in 1918, and they're still operating today, and they played a huge role in making sure that some of those groves were still here today. And it's a good thing they started when they did, because by the early 1960s, there was talk really seriously about trying to have a national park. Only about 15% of the original 2 million acres of virgin redwoods were still uncut in California. So not, I say 15, that's not 50, but that's one five, 15%, not many of them. So finally, in 1968, the National Park was established by Congress. And the new National Park area joined three existing state parks that had already been there for a long time. And so finally, in 1994, everybody put their heads together and said, why don't we just combine the operations of the National Park and the state parks into more of a seamless operation? So you'll see employees from both government levels working together there. It makes good sense, but it's a unique operation as far as the national park system is concerned. 
So as we're talking about it, I'm just going to refer to it as the park. And when I say that, I'm talking about the combined bigger area of the national parks and the state parks there together. If you're trying to find it, the U.S. Highway 101 is a major road that runs up and down the West Coast, and it passes either through most of the units of the park or it passes at least close to them. So it's a major access point in order to try to find the park. But it's a really long, linear park the way it's laid out on the ground, about 70 miles from the northern end to the southern end. So it makes it a little bit hard to fit up on a single map, especially if you're looking at one on your phone or your tablet. That brings us to a tip if you're using those electronic devices for navigation. The park is careful to point out on their website, if you're visiting the area, then do not plan to use GPS systems to get you from point A to point B in the park. And they put it in all caps. I don't think it's underlined, but it says do not, the GPS systems do not have accurate coverage of the Redwood National State Parks area. And they go on to share some examples that say people trying to follow GPS to get to the park have been sent to isolated towns, down logging roads and adjacent forests and onto private property. And so they really encourage people to get a printed map to find your way around in the park. And you can pick one up. They have five visitor centers scattered around the park. You can get a printed map there. You can also download some ahead of time from the park website. Again, do that before you leave home. If you're going to get it, don't count on being able to get it in real time on your phone while you're there. If you easy way to find it, if you just Google the terms official park map, Redwood National and State Parks, you've come to a link on the park website that will give you a place where you can find a JPEG version of the full park map. And they also have it divided up into a northern half and a southern half that will print on a standard size piece of paper. So if you want to print your own, you can do that. And an even better way, I think, to find a great map and more information, the park has a free visitor guide. And if you just load this, if you Google Redwood National Park newspaper, then you'll get a link to that. You can save it as a PDF file. And it's on your phone or your tablet. You can use that. And since it's JPEG, you can expand it and zero in on details to see the big picture. And that map is great because in addition to all the usual information, it has some highlights of some great trails and some of the primary spots to see in the park that are indicated on the map. And it gives you a little brief summary of what each one of those parts are. So I found that really to be the probably the best map to operate from is the one there in that park newspaper and visitor guide that you can download or pick up a printed copy once you get there in the visitor center. Now, you know, we're talking about redwood trees, and I got to thinking about that too when I knew you were going to be having this conversation. And I realized that probably most people in America have heard of redwood trees, and maybe they know that some of those trees are really tall, and they know that some of them are really big, but they may be a bit fuzzy about the difference between maybe redwood trees and those big giant sequoias that we hear about at other places in California. So the short answer is they're close relatives. The Redwoods National and State Parks were set up to preserve some of the last remaining coast redwoods. They only grow in a narrow strip right there close to the California coast and up into southern Oregon, close to the Pacific. So the coast redwoods are the tallest variety of redwoods. In fact, some of the tallest trees, the tallest tree in the world is a coast redwood. The tallest one is a, just a tad over 380 feet high. And to get some perspective on that, We've all seen pictures of the U.S. Capitol in Washington. So if you get a mental picture of that building, how tall it is from the base to the top of the statue on the, on the top, that's 288 feet on the U.S. Capitol. The tallest redwood tree is almost 100 feet higher than that. So you can visualize a tree standing next to the Capitol and going up for another 100 feet. 
<laughs> that's a really tall tree. So to my mind, that's pretty impressive. Now, the other redwood relative is the giant sequoias. And those only grow on the western slope of the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. So they're bigger in, in diameter than the coastal redwoods, but they're not as tall. So if you're looking for a trivia question, the distinction of being the largest living tree in the world, largest based on total volume, the width plus the height, the top two currently largest trees in the world are both in Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park here in California. They're called the General Sherman tree and the General Grant tree. So the giant sequoias are shorter, but fatter, and the coast redwoods are taller and not quite as big around. But they're still some of them are still pretty doggone impressive in terms of their trunks. So we said that the park here at the Redwoods is home of the world's tallest tree. It's big coast redwood, and it's a little higher now than 380 feet. It's grown over a foot since it was discovered just a few years back. So it's still actually growing. It's been nicknamed Hyperion, who in Greek mythology was one of the titans. So that makes sense in terms of the name. It was discovered in August of 2006. There were a couple of naturalists named Chris Atkins and Michael Taylor, and they were on a mission. They were out beating the brush in some of the remotest corners of the park, specifically looking for the tallest tree. And when they spotted a possible candidate, they had some professional quality laser measuring devices that would give them at least a pretty good ballpark figure. And so they concluded when they finally found this one tree, this is probably our winner. And so in September 2006, they had an expert from Humboldt State University, a guy named Steve Sillett, who studies redwoods, and he's one of the renowned experts. They asked him to come back and actually measure the tree. So you might wonder, how do you measure a tree that's taller than the by 100 feet than the U.S. Capitol? And the answer is, you climb to the top and you drop a really long tape measure to the ground. Now, it's not as easy as it sounds because you don't want to damage the tree in the process. They use some basically some techniques with a lot of ropes that you use from mountaineering. There's a really cool video about it that National Geographic was there on site and they filmed it when they actually measured this tree. If you search for National Geographic Channel, World's Tallest Tree, you'll see a really cool seven-minute video to show how they, they did that. So I thought that was really kind of interesting. There's also an interesting story about how this tree almost wasn't here today. It had a close call with the date with the sawmill. And the way that transpired was when the original national park was established in 1968, and the timber companies still, of course, were logging on the private land that was adjacent to the national park. And there got to be a little debate about the new park. Some people felt like that in places they drew the boundaries in a kind of illogical fashion, just some very narrow strips along some streams. And they felt like that was not protecting the trees in the park because as they clear cut these all these long, steep slopes, you have a lot of erosion and stuff, mud washing down into the parks, and they were concerned that was a problem. And so some discussion started about perhaps we need to expand the park in some places. Well, not surprisingly, the timber companies were nervous about that prospect, about losing the revenue from additional timber that might be lost. And so they went on a really concerted campaign to cut as much as possible while they could. And in fact, a couple of sources say they even started using floodlights and they were logging 24 hours a day trying to see what they could get out of the woods. This debate went on for years. And so they cut a lot of trees. And finally, uh, in 1978, a bill was expanded to, was passed to expand some more of the park. And they added some additional areas. And when these guys came in to measure what turned out to be the world's largest tree, they discovered that the edge of the clear cut that was moving steadily in the direction of that grove stopped only a few hundred feet from the grove that has now the world's tallest tree. They estimated that probably another two weeks, that whole grove would have been leveled and been nothing left of it. 
So just to go to show that sometimes in any aspect of life, timing really is a does matter. And that no one knew, of course, when the, the debate was going on about that bill about that specific grove. But I thought that that close call was really kind of interesting as it played out. Hello, fellow adventurer. Are you a runner looking for your next race? Wabash Run the River is a half marathon, 10K and 5K that takes place in the heart of downtown Wabash, Indiana. The first electrically lit city in the world. Start the race in the historic downtown and continue the race on the recently constructed Wabash River Trail. Your family and friends can enjoy a free straight festival called Block Party while you finish the race, complete with a DJ, food trucks and games. Back this year is cash prizes Yes, cash prizes will be awarded to the top three females and males for each race. Wabash Run the River happens the second Saturday in June every year. Check out visitwabashcounty.com for more information. To sweeten the deal even more, enjoy $5 off your race with the promo code Shane. S-H-A-N-E. Happy adventuring! I mentioned the conversation our team had with local historians in Crescent City, California, in which they have been both grateful for the park and also somewhat sorry for the loss of the logging industry that had once sustained the area. We'll be featuring the conversation in a future episode in the coming months. Our friends in Crescent City weren't opposed to the development of the National State Forests, just keenly away from the immediate economic impact of preservation. In the short term, the saving of the redwoods in Northern California was a wonderful thing for America, but a difficult thing for local families and businesses. Yeah, yeah, it was. And but that's a big part of the economy in that part of the country. And that, that was jobs and money, and they were going to get what they could. It's a complicated discussion in a lot of places when you get protecting the natural resources versus economic interest, and it can, it can be some tough decisions. I'm glad they saved what they saved. It's really only a small percentage is set aside now. To, so I'm glad we've got them now to be able to enjoy. As hard as it is to see local logging operations fail, when it comes to the question of saving ancient forests, possibly because of the Lorax, I'll always be rooting for the trees. If anything, I feel a pit in my stomach over the fact that we lost 90% of them by the time the conservationists stepped in. Well, and really what, uh, 68 when the park was created, we say, and if all those intervening years wouldn't be anything left, if it if there weren't some parks now, I'm sure they all be cut by now. And again, the credit goes back to those local and state groups that go back to the 19 teens. The majority of the old growth stuff that's in now part of the combined national state parks were in those state parks that were created wisely. Some of them almost 100 years ago now wouldn't be there if those folks hadn't been on the ball at the local level. Not wait for the feds to get in there and do the job for them. We visited the Redwoods before talking to Jim and wanted to visit Hyperion, but didn't know where it was. We figured we'd see markers in the park, and there were none. A brief search online also failed to yield results, and now I know why. There is one of the bit of irony about the story of the tall tree that it's, it's unfortunately kind of becoming a victim of its own reputation. When the tree was discovered, and it is in a pretty remote area of the park, and so the talk was between the park and these other partner groups like the Save the Redwoods League, 
that we're not going to publicize the actual location of the tree. We want to try to protect it and really kind of keep it secret. Which that works in these days of social media and the internet and all that sort of thing. Eventually, the word got out and that proved to be impossible. And so even though there's no trail to the area, I understand there's even some websites now that have the GPS coordinates, unfortunately, published out there for where the tree is located. And so people are getting there and the habitat around the tree now is being steadily destroyed just by the trampling of too many feet. One of the problems is that redwoods, despite their big size, really have a pretty shallow root system. So the moisture that's important for them survives and effective if the soil really gets compacted by too much trampling. And people are climbing on the tree to get photographs and selfies and the bark's being damaged a little bit. And so, so the park website talks about this problem and it poses, I think, a pretty good question. They say, as a visitor, you must decide if you will be part of the preservation of this unique landscape or will you be part of its destruction? Now, I thought that's a good thing for, for all of us to think about in this kind of situation. In fact, I found a story by a reporter from California who had a phone call and somebody said, would you like to go see the world's tallest tree? And she said, sure. A reporter is usually looking for a good story. And she wrote a story later on about why you shouldn't go. She regretted having done it when it was all over for the reasons we just talked about. But she gave several other good reasons why it's not worth the trouble. First, it doesn't really look all that special when you get there. If you're down on the ground and in the middle of a grove of a bunch of really tall trees, and you can't really see the top of them very well anyway because of all the branches, she says you can't really tell which one is the tallest just by looking at it. And it's not really all that impressive. The trunk is not as big as a lot of other trees in the park. And so it's almost a so what once you get there and see the tree up close and personal. There's also some practical reasons based on this lady's experience not to go. The hike in was really long. There's no trail. There's a lot of thrashing through some pretty thick underbrush and thorny stuff. Had to wade two creeks with water that was so cold and knee deep that her feet were numb. By the time she got out the last one and the bank was muddy and she was worried about falling in. And by the time she got back, basically the size of it was a trip ready was a bummer. And so she was encouraged people also not to try to do it. So the question is, if everybody, it's logical, that's why the park was there. We want to go and see these really big, impressive, tall trees. And if maybe technically it's not the tallest, there are plenty of other great spots you can go through trees that are to the untrained eye or even more impressive to look at than this one. And so there's several options. I'll just list three right quick that might be of interest to visitors. The first one is a brand new trail. They just finished it in June of 2022. And it's in a, the name is great. It's called the Grove of the Titans is the name of where this trail is located. It's in the Jedediah Smith Redwood State Park, one of the units of the combined park there. And that grove has a lot of trees that are over 300 feet tall. And also they're among the largest redwoods on the planet in terms of volume because they have such huge trunks. So if you want to see some really impressive trees, the Trail of the Titans is a great way to do it. And to avoid the problem that I just talked about with all the trampling and stuff around the big tree, they've raised a lot of money from private groups. They put in a, an elevated, you would usually think of it as a boardwalk, but this is made out of a real heavy-duty metal mesh, which drays off the ground a little bit. So you walk off through the grove, but you're not impacting the soil or the ground itself. So it's a great way to get up close and personal with the trees. Again, only been open now just a matter of a couple of weeks. The directions are a little bit confusing if you are just trying to find it, if you're not familiar with the area. And so the easiest thing to do, the Jedediah Smith Redwood State Park has a visitor center. It's right on the US 199, 10 miles east of Crescent City, California. If you go to the visitor center, they can get you some easy directions about how to get there. It's about a two-mile round trip 
in and out to get to the Grove of the Titans. Now, if you want to get to an easier spot, the trail that's perfect for just about anybody, it's called the Carl Knapp, K-A-R-L-K-N-A-P-P. That's the name of the trail, the Carl Knapp Trail. It's in the Prairie Creek State Park. It's flat. If you hike the whole trail, it's about two and a half miles, although you don't have to hike the whole thing. And it's got some terrific big trees. The trail is ADA handicapped accessible, so anybody can hike it without any problem. It starts right next to the visitor center there at Prairie Creek Park. It's right off the Newton B. Drury, D-R-U-R-Y, the Newton B. Drury Scenic Parkway, which is a great drive with a lot of trailheads. Probably if you had a short period of time, that's the one drive to take in the park. So it's a great place to get to, and that's a perfect trail for anybody that wants to see some big trees. Now, one tip that might throw some people off, until late 2021, the name of that trail was the Prairie Creek Trail. Name is the name of the same as the name of the state park. And the California State Park System renamed it in 2021 to the Carl Knapp Trail to honor a guy that worked for the state park system there for 45 years. And he developed some really innovative ways to build and maintain trails. His system is used all over the country now. And so they've renamed that trail in his honor. But if you're looking for stuff online about it or looking maybe on maps or brochures, you might find either name. It might be called the Carl Knapp Trail or it might be called the Prairie Creek Trail. So I didn't want that to create some confusion if people are trying to plan a visit there. And the last option for some really impressive trees, if you really want to get away from the crowds, but still have a, a reasonably easy trip, you can go to a place called the Tall Trees Grove. How can you miss on that if you want to go see some big trees, right? Well, before you grab your hiking boots and head out the door, a couple of things you need to know about that one. One reason is it's not too crowded is you can only get there if you have a permit and the park only gives a, a set number of permits per day. What the permit does, it gives you the key to a lot gate that's at the start of a six mile drive down a former logging road. It's unpaved. You can still drive it okay in a regular vehicle, but it's a, a long kind of a dusty drive. We get there, there's a small parking lot, which is one reason for the limited number of permits. You can't fit RVs and trailers and stuff in there. Once you get to the parking lot, the park says, if you're planning to visit there, you need to allow a minimum of four hours from the time you get in your vehicle on the road until you get back out because you've got the six-mile drive in, six-mile drive out, and then you've got a four-and-a-half-mile round-trip hike that includes losing about 800 feet of elevation going in, and you've got to climb the 800 feet of elevation coming back out. So it's not a considered an easy hike. Describes as moderately strenuous, but it gets rave reviews. If you look on online about a lot of people talking about this particular trail and going to the Tall Trees Grove, it's a great place, but you just need to know going into it. It's going to take some time for the drive, some time for the hike. What was previously the tallest tree in the world is located as part of that grove. What happened was that the top died back and it lost a little bit of its height, but still some very impressive trees there also. So there's three places you can go without your conscience hurting or without your doing any damage to the big tree and go really enjoy seeing a chance to do that. If you want to get a permit for that, you can only get them online. And the way to do it is just Google the terms tall trees permits at Redwoods. That'll take you to the right link. The park understands that people want to plan their trips sometime. And I've encouraged people to try to plan them. And so they've got some places on the website. Here's what you can do if you have only an hour or if you have a few hours, or if you have half a day, or if you have a full day. So again, if you look online and you search for walks and hikes, Redwood National and State Parks, 
that should take you to the link on the park website that will give you all those great tips. A few days after Jim offered these alternatives to Hyperion and encouraged us to leave the world's largest tree alone, the Redwoods National Park effectively shut it down. So many people have trampled the base of this tree, circling and standing on it, that all of the fern life of the tree has been killed off, and the bark itself is eroding. In place of those ferns, garbage and human waste is piling up. Fortunately for all of us, they've closed off the area to allow the tree to recover. Go visit one of the options Jim has suggested instead. The redwoods are the obvious centerfold of the RMP spread, but there's more to this park than just trees. Now, I know most people go to see the redwoods. That's the big draw for that park. But there is a kind of a bonus there that some people may not know about. There is some really beautiful, there are several trails ranging from easy to difficult. If you just want to get on the beach and not have a long slog to get there, close to Crescent City, California, through the town, there's a place called the Crescent Beach Day Use Area and the Crescent Beach Overlook. They're about three miles south of the town of Crescent City. They're a popular place to get to the beach and a bonus there. Uh, surprisingly enough, you can see gray whales from there. There's a resident population. You can sometimes spot them anytime during the year, but the peak is during the migration, November, December, and March through April. Park says, pick a clear day, go to the overlook, take your binoculars, and the way you spot them is seeing the, seeing the mist shooting up in the air when the whales are spouting. But you can find all kinds of neat marine life in there on the beach when the tide is out. And that's the other reminder, anytime you're going on a beach on the West Coast, be sure the tide schedule. Beach is a great place to walk when the tide's out. It's not a great place to be caught when the tide comes back in. There are places you can't get, get caught and trapped up next to the rocks and can't get back to the back to your starting point. So check the tide table and check it ahead of time. Don't count on having a cell signal when you get to the beach. <laughs> Look at it at the last minute. And one other thing I thought was really kind of fascinating for me about this park, I was intrigued that if you... Either you can't get there in person, or if you want to get a preview ahead of time, they're definitely on the cutting edge for technology. They're parked on their website. I was interested to see a notation that said, we are thrilled to bring the Redwoods in virtual reality to you. It turns out they've got eight episodes, what they call the virtual reality ranger-led walks in the Redwoods. And they've also got Redwood canopy tours. And they've also got the Peaceful Redwood series, and you can get these in either the iOS or Android formats. If you've got the, the full deal of virtual reality headsets, you can get the full experience. And if not, you can still download some free software. That's a, there's a link on the park website. You can kind of move around through the forest by using your mouse. It's really pretty intriguing, and I was pretty impressed. I guess I really shouldn't be surprised. After all, this park is in California. And the world's tallest tree is only 400 miles from Silicon Valley. So maybe that all fits. Great place to go. And I hope if people can go there and see them in person. If not, we'll check out their virtual reality stuff. In 1850, the forest now contained in the Redwood National Park covered more than 2 million acres. Today, it measures only 17,000 acres. On the upside, those acres are truly virgin forest, which is to say they have never been touched by an axe or any other foresting tools. In 2022, there are few forests left of which we can say this. Part of what launched the initial foresting efforts was the failure of many prospectors to strike it rich during the California gold rush. Those who stayed needed to find other ways to make money, and logging was one of the obvious options. Some of the surviving trees are almost 2,000 years old, which places them among the oldest known life forms in the world. 
the average age of a redwood is between 500 and 700 years old, though they are capable of living for several thousand years. When you're in the redwoods, you'll likely notice the fog, and all this water in the air is important for the tree's survival. The tops of these trees are, of course, unusually far from their roots, and the fog provides additional water. It also helps cool the trees down during the hottest parts of the summer. If you love trees and feel gratitude for the conservation efforts of those generations who have come before us, you will love redwoods. It might even be your favorite national park. Or, if when you look at a tree and you just see a large, disorganized stack of usable firewood, you might agree with one local one-star reviewer, Caden W., who simply said, boring. Another Redwood Park hater, Gabriel F., said, very disappointed. I saw this really cool three-part documentary in the theaters about these apes that lived in the Redwood Forest. So as you can imagine, I was really excited to see a talking chimp, but was severely let down. The documentary he's referring to is the recent Planet of the Apes film trilogy, partially set in this national park. Sorry, Gabe. From Jeremy R. This place is beautiful, don't get me wrong, but if you have any expectation of nice, relaxed, and quiet camping experience, do not stay here. It's absolutely ridiculous. Listening to dogs barking and screaming kids from sunup to sundown is horrible. Worst camping experience on our entire cross-country trip will not be back again. Well, anyway, our time was the very definition of relaxing and quiet. The dog barking does sound annoying, but I can say where we were, we were fortunate enough to not have heard any of that kind. We'll be back in the next episode for the Grand Canyon, and I'll leave you with a closing scene from the Lorax, where the now-defeated Wanseler gives the last surviving Trefala seed to a boy, encouraging him to regrow the forests and fight for the trees. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to get better. It's not... Hold on a minute. Where is it now? Uh, don't go, don't go. I've got something for you. Ah, ah, here it is. It's a truffula seed. It's the last one of all. Catch, don't muff. You're in charge of the last of the truffula seeds. And truffula trees are what everyone needs. Plant a new truffula. Treat it with care. Give it clean water and feed it fresh air. Grow a forest. Protect it from axes that hack. Then the Lorax and all of his friends may come back. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.